Like so many of Africa's long-time strongmen, Mugabe's leadership ended in humiliation. A military takeover by the Zimbabwe Defense Forces ignited by the dismissal of his vice president, Emerson Munangakwa, who now leads the country. Unlike his boisterous introduction to the world as prime minister in 1980, his exit was a more somber occasion, a resignation letter read in his absence before parliamentarians gathered to impeach him. Speaker of Parliament Jacob Mutenda read the resignation letter. I, Robert Gabriel Mugabe, in terms of section 96, subsection 1 of the Constitution of Zimbabwe, hereby formally tender my resignation as the President of the Republic of Zimbabwe with immediate effect. In one of his rare appearances after the resignation, Mugabe expressed anger and shock at his ouster from the party he led before and after independence from British rule. I was sacked from the party I founded, ZANU-BF. I was regarded now as an enemy. Explaining his reluctant decision to resign after much negotiation and mediation as Zimbabweans were demonstrating against his leadership outside his home, Mugabe said he loved his country and his people and wanted to avoid bloodshed. When I resigned, I said, I have done so in order to avoid bloodshed in order to avoid conflict between the army and the people. Aged 93 at the time of his resignation and a presidential candidate for his party for the next election, Mugabe, known for intolerance against Western interference in the affairs of sovereign countries like his, chastised the military for failing to honor the very principles of democracy and unity on which he said the country's liberation struggle was waged and won. I said no. I still say no. This was wrong. This is the greatest damage we have done to our history. The greatest injustice we have done to ourselves. Undisputed by many over his 37-year rule was Mugabe's efforts to empower his fellow citizens through education and prosperity. In his first years in office as prime minister and then executive president from 1987, Mugabe embarked on ambitious empowerment programs for his compatriots on education, Mugabe renowned for his attainment of seven end degrees before and during the Liberation War of the 1960s, prided himself for making Zimbabwe a shining example. I raised the level of literacy of my people, and that was recognized by UNESCO. We became number one. And in regard to the education of our children, all children had education. The land reform program, which aimed to give indigenous Zimbabweans access to arable land, received much criticism, largely due to the manner it was executed, which many saw as chaotic and violent. However, to the end, Mugabe defended his aggressive land reform exercise in 2000 that forcefully removed an estimated 4,000 white commercial farmers from lucrative pieces of land on which black Zimbabweans were merely workers and not owners.
In his defense of the land reform program, which also displaced the thousands of black farm workers, Mugabe said he had an agreement with former British Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher. We agreed with Madam Thatcher, with her government, that there should be a reform, land reform. Joshua Nkoma and I insisted we had to get land. And the British agreed. Mugabe also faced criticism domestically, with many attributing the country's economic downslide to the land reform program. Unfazed by the critics, Mugabe hinted only slightly that the land reform program failed to meet the full expectations of the indigenous Zimbabweans it was supposed to empower. We assisted people in developing their land. They, we gave them land, yes, but uh, the resources with which to develop the land in some cases fell short. We certainly did our best. In reaction to the forceful land grabs and allegations of human rights violations and rigged elections, Western countries led by Britain and the United States isolated Zimbabwe by imposing targeted sanctions, which still today remain a major source of debate. Mugabe bitterly condemned the sanctions as illegal and argued for their removal at every occasion. We say that sanctions are wrong because they, they, they are not based on any valid grounds at all. The West has argued that the sanctions are targeted at specific individuals and are under constant revision based on reforms. In retaliation to the sanctions, Mugabe launched a petition to get one million signatures to push for their removal and also declared a counter-attack against the West by embarking on an indigenization program that outlawed the foreigners from owning majority stakes in any company. It's now time that we impose our own sanctions. I've instructed the Minister of Indigenization and Empowerment, Mr. Sevia Kasukwere, to start with action on British companies. We have nothing to be ashamed of. We must take them over. Despite rebuke from even economic and political experts in his own country who feared investor flight, Mugabe signed into law the Zimbabwe Indigenization and Economic Empowerment Act, which compelled foreign-owned companies to transfer equity stakes of up to 51% to black Zimbabweans. Mugabe argued that the 49% shareholdings for foreign-owned companies was reasonable. 49% is a hell lot of equity. And it's only foolish ones who will say so. Why wise ones will take it? In an attempt to attract much-needed foreign direct investment in keeping with his mantra that Zimbabwe is open for business, President Munangakwa revised the indigenization law. The revised law stipulates that any person is free to invest in, form, operate and own or control businesses without restrictions. Mugabe, who served at various times as chair of both the African Union and the Southern African Development Community, was seen by many as a peacemaker and unifier. In 1987, he signed a unity accord with Joshua Nkomo, leader of then-opposition Zimbabwe African People's Union, to end a bitter conflict in the Matebeleland and Midlands provinces in the early 1980s, which left an estimated 20,000 people dead. In 2009, 
he again entered into a power-sharing agreement with the late Moken Twangrai, then leader of the opposition movement for democratic change, to end violence fueled by a contested election. Outside Zimbabwe, Mugabe also participated in the mediation of several regional disputes. I think I try to do my best and to bring that spirit, uh, belief in the African people, in our people, that they are as good as one, any, anyone else in the world. Believe in themselves, anti-colonialist. I thought I was, and still I am. Mugabe also prided his record on gender equality at workplaces, especially for women. We said equality, equality for women and men. So we raised the status of women. I want to believe, but that status still needs to be raised. Despite the pressure to denounce his wife, who many saw as eyeing the presidential seat, Mugabe, who dismissed Kiemzi was positioning her to replace him, stood by her and called for an end to attacks against Zimbabwe's former first lady. I don't accept the denunciations and vilifications that's going on of my wife every day in, in the paper for nothing. I don't know why. Leave, leave, leave my wife alone. I want grace to remain my grace. While the fallout with his party resulted in his ouster from ZANU-PF and confinement to his mansion in Harare, Mukabe maintained the respect of his fellow Zimbabweans, including Mnangagwa, who continues to recognize him as the country's founding father. The respect extends even to political rival MTC leader Nelson Chamisa, who, following the announcement of Mukabe's resignation, acknowledged Mukabe's contributions. Mukabe's legacy as Zimbabwe's first elected prime minister and president will continue to be a topic of debate, even if he died a private citizen. Reporting for VOA Zimbabwe Service, I am Kip Stube.